Welcome to Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode nine of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark and with me as always is my co-host and buddy, Brian. Brian, how are you doing today? Good. I didn't realize that the intro didn't have me saying I'm Brian. Has that changed? Has it always been like that? Yeah, we're 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 following the Super Sentai script instead of the Mount Olympus script. Ah. I do think one of the times we did it, I sort of lapsed and threw to you as though it were the Mount Olympus thing. Okay. So that might be why it's in your head. Excellent. Uh, keeping this production as professional as we always do. Yeah, you know how we do. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we are watching Spider-Man episode nine. I swear to you, I'm not making this title up. Motion Accessory is a love-filled beetle insect spy. But, before we get into that, and boy, are we are we going to get all up into that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the title I read was The Animate Accessory is the Beetle Spy of Love, but, you know, I, I don't <laughs> think either version makes makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. There is definitely a Beatles spy of love, though, however you unpack it. Yeah. That part is accurate. It's super weird. But, but before before we get into Beatles spy love, Brian, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. Yeah. This week, as we like to do on Spider-Man... We have picked a topic to break down our, our both of our top fives for. So instead of the kind of topical stuff that Matt and Dave do, we just rip off every internet website in the world and do a little top five list. Yep. Yesterday was WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing the Super Sentai Brothers podcast loves almost as much as Super Sentai programs, it is professional wrestling. One might call it wrestling. You and I are not up on the wrestling uh, to the degree that Matt is. Although I did watch the uh, the WrestleManias yesterday. Wow. And it was a lot of fun. But we were both fans in our youth. Yes. So the topic, the replacement topic we picked is favorite professional wrestlers of the like 80s, 90s. Yeah. So like the the silver age of maybe even arguably the golden age of WCW or WWF and the dawn of WCW and the Monday Night Wars. Right. And yeah, we're going to draw a lot of these lines arbitrarily. Um, And we're also going to say this is mostly about the wrestlers as the wrestling personalities and not, well, anything about these wrestlers personally, because it's not necessarily a great business with great people. Uh, all of the time. Uh, also, yeah, are... <laughs> we much like the discussion around the Beatles, we are just excluding Hulk Hogan from the list because Hulk Hogan flat out was wrestling for a good decade, two decades, yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, and I would also say on the other end, we're kind of excluding The Rock because in the time frame we're talking i think he still would have been rocky Maivia at that point 
And that's not the cool rock that everyone remembers. So <laughs> a lot of these lines are drawn very arbitrarily by let's highlight some wrestlers we liked from when we were children. Yeah, that's loosely. That is loosely what it is. I, I want people to know the very loose rules that we are applying to this. They are completely arbitrary and would probably change uh, what wrestlers <laughs> we had on this list had had we thought about it in a different way. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good clarification. Right. Lots of clarifications <laughs> this around a, this list. This is a slapdash. Hey, what are things we both know about? I don't know. Wrestling happened yesterday. Let's talk about old wrestlers. Right. Yes. So, Brian, let's talk about some old wrestlers. What is your your number five star? I was always a big fan and it's silly, but I always like to watch Disco Inferno. <laughs> Disco Inferno, who was out there, you know, have a good time. He would always get right up to winning, do a disco dance, and then get power slammed and lose. Uh, but, yeah. But, you know, everybody everybody liked Disco Inferno. Come on. Who doesn't want to see Disco Inferno? He had, he had that spunk, that spark. <laughs> I really, Disco Inferno was very over with me. I don't know why, but he really worked. I, an absurd gimmick. Oh, yeah. And a very obvious ripoff of the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, clearly better than the Honky Tonk Man. I don't know. Honky Tonk just got himself uh, inducted into the... Uh, WWE Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, but he probably just had to hit somebody with guitar to do it. So, no, I mean, <laughs> if you want obvious ripoff of the Honky Tonk Man, that's uh, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, Cowboy Jeff Jarrett. Oh, I mean, we could do a whole little segment on is Jeff Jarrett and the roadie the Spider-Man clone saga of wrestling? <laughs> What a brilliant uh, crossover connection you just put there, Brian. Yeah, I just, it was so bad. So, so bad. So everything terrible about Ridiculous. that. So <laughs> let's get, let's stop talking about Jeff Jarrett and the roadie. They don't belong on this list. You're number five. So my number five is Diamond Dallas Page. Okay. Who, like a lot of wrestlers of this era, definitely crossed over from uh, WWF and WCW. I think he's one of the ones that came in through the WCW, though. If you remember the early, like, the Diamond Mind era. Yeah, I. it's I all a were, haze. Yeah, I was trying to scratch my brain on this and see what I could remember, and I remember the Vegas connection being a thing for a little while. <laughs> uh, but where they really kick into... To what I remember is when he when he made he kind of made his bones on feuding with the Macho Man for a Ooh, number yeah. of years, and that feud, for whatever reason, really really worked for me. <laughs> it's one of the storylines that just it was in the era of WCW when Saturday night was happening and I was watching very regularly. Uh, Macho Man had just, I think, been... had jumped over. I don't remember exactly what the timeline's like in there. Real wrestling fans could correct this for yes, me. My, uh... But for whatever reason, the story they chose to pursue was this feud with Randy Savage that was just a ton of fun. 
Yes. Uh, I guess I should probably give a shout out to my brother, who is a quote unquote real wrestling fan. I think he is now currently like the longest reigning wrestling trivia champion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're both big successes in our fields. <laughs> the uh, the sort of end of the DDP era that I remember is the Millionaires Club, mm. which I think at one point had both uh, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan in there. Yeah, things things got a little weird towards the end of everything. They kept shifting allegiance. I mean, which they do all the time, right? But WCW was definitely getting desperate towards the end, especially once Kevin Sullivan had started doing the booking. Like, it just, it kind of got into a hot mess there at the end. Anyway, Brian, what is your star number four? Star number four is a cheater star, because I couldn't figure out which one of these two to put on. So you have the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, Brett the Hitman Hart, whose technical ability in the ring I feel is unsurpassed. But, you know... Look, kind of a boring guy, especially yeah. especially for like that theme song and the totally rad 80s shades and whatnot. Yeah, uh, and he's a great wrestler. He represented the Hart Foundation, which yep. was a really cool stable. Yeah, and he was he was a he was good on the mic. Oh yeah, I just fascinating to watch, but overall, eh, kind of boring as a personality. Now, juxtapose that with. Maybe not the greatest wrestler ever, but the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, <laughs> who is quite possibly the most engaging personality that ever was in wrestling. He real good. It's true. Uh, just, I mean, the time he bought the title, <laughs> the the million-dollar belt he constantly walked around with, the I entire million-dollar belt. So oh, much. the when he teamed up for uh, Money Inc. Money Inc. Yeah. Isn't that a great tag team with Erwin R. Scheister? And of course... Money Inc. is just a great name, too. Oh, it really was. I I have to say, though, my favorite discovery may have been today when there was on the internet a list of... Uh, basically a big list of second bananas in wrestling. And, okay. you know, everyone's like, oh, well... Uh, Stevie Ray is the second banana to Booker T and you know or this wrestler is the second banana to the rest of the stable but my favorite entry was for Virgil because he was listed as second banana to million dollar man Ted DiBiase everyone else <laughs> that's that's fantastic. because Virgil was kind of the worst <laughs> But enough dunking on Virgil and enough buying uh, championships. Jeez, Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister feuding with the Mega Powers. Yeah, that that's just insane. <laughs> anyway, so I'm going to do a nice little connect over here for my fourth star. Okay. Uh, so my star number four is... Davy Boy Smith, but very specifically British Bulldog era Davy Boy Smith. I mean, the real era. Right, yeah. What one might consider prime Davy Boy. Right. Look, anyone connected with the hearts, the WCW is basically bad fan fiction. That's what that is. 
Yeah, 100%. Not canon. So the reason I consider this a good crossover, as you say, is because of that heart connection, right? So uh, Davy Boy wrestled with the Dynamite Kid, (laughs) who you may remember, Mm. uh, as a tag team early in their career. They were the British Bulldogs, Mm. and they came into the WWF uh, at the same time as... Uh, the Hart Foundation. They came in with Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of kind of crossover tag teaming in that era. I feel like they were all in a Survivor Series together. That might be true. I believe that happened. Yeah. There was also a, like, they had a long time feud, if I remember correctly, with the Dream Team, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake. Mm. Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah, Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, that, that that tag team specifically, I really loved. Uh, but I know there was some sort of bad blood with the WWF, and they were kind of in and out of uh, Japan pro wrestling for a while. And eventually, at least Davy Boy ended up in the WCW. So, you know, it kind of like everybody did for right. a while there. Yeah. But very specifically... Uh, late 80s through mid 90s British Bulldog era Davy Boy really does it for me. What is your star number three? Who is, I guess I should say, your star number three? It's a Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> rowdy Roddy Piper. List, right? I mean, so by the time we're watching him, he's basically at the end of his career and he's also doing many more facious things as opposed to the heel I mean, yeah, he's still occasionally heel, but just Rowdy Roddy Piper, so over the top, marching <laughs> yeah, out to Scotland the Brave. I mean, just just every... <laughs> Look, he had to be fantastic on the mic and all of that because his finisher, I believe, was the sleeper hold, which is the most boring hold in wrestling. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, I, I know it's, he was kind of... It was it was not as tired when he was first doing it. Yeah, but yeah. oh man. Yeah. Now it's not the worst finishing move in wrestling. I believe we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh <laughs> I just everything about Rowdy Roddy Piper, just he was a wild man. He was a wild card all over the place. You know, was he coming down to help Hogan out or hit him with a chair? You never knew. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a goofball personality, too. Yeah. Just, oh, he was just pure chaos. Yep. Down there, interviews in Piper's Pit. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's why I got for number three. Trying to keep okay, these I w- shortish. I will counterbalance us on finishing moves with what I think is one of the better finishing moves of the era. My number three is Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid. Okay. Little bit of that sweet chin music. Right? Yeah. Ah, sweet chin music is fantastic. Yeah. It, and re- I mean, let's be honest, it's just a kick. Oh, it really is. I mean, it's, look, it's the same reason that Hogan's leg drop is electrifying. It has <laughs> nothing to do with the move itself. It's yeah. all of the build. I mean. It's the build and the name. It's yeah. a good name. I, 
I mean, it all ends the same way. Like, guys getting up groggily. Sean's over there stomping in the corner a couple times. And then, bam! <laughs> connection. So, while Sean Michaels maybe... Maybe peaked around the time of Degeneration X. Yeah, although, I mean, that goes a lot back to injuries suffered during wrestling. He probably sure. could have had several more very good years. I Oh, yeah, I think so. But for me, peak Shawn Michaels is the two dudes with attitude Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> when he was paired up initially with uh, Diesel. Mm, so, so you're... So you're post rockers pre heartbreak kid, yeah. Well, yeah, I was sort of right well, into yeah, the yeah. heartbreak kid transition. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there was that that very rough Jeff Jarrett window with the click. Yeah, spelled with a Q. I yeah. think if I remember mm. right, Jeff Jarrett's popping up too much in here. He ruins everything. <laughs> I'll be honest, though, until you mentioned it, I had forgotten about Marty Jannetty and the Rockers. uh, Sadly, that is kind of Marty Jannetty's story. (laughs) Wasn't there even a storyline where way later Marty Jannetty came back and he's like, I was the true, you know. I think so, yeah. yeah. It was me. All the accolades were for me, Sean. It didn't really go anywhere because, again, (laughs) Marty Jannetty. All right, Brian, what is... Oh, I, I suppose we should take a quick second here because wrestling fans would kill us if we mentioned Shawn Michaels and didn't at least nod in the direction of the Montreal Screwjob. Oh, yeah. Well, that was all terrible. I that mean, was all terrible. It was all terrible. Uh, I kind of side mostly with Brett that Brett got screwed in the yep. whole thing. Um, Agreed. Love yeah. me some Shawn Michaels, but I agree. Yep, yep. Uh, but I think we can all agree the person to blame... Really, for everything that goes badly in wrestling is Vince McMahon, and we can probably leave it at that. <laughs> what is, who is your number two star, Brian? The Undertaker. Oh, uh, oh, that's a beautiful choice. It, it is, partially because for how sad The Undertaker made me originally early on watching The Undertaker, because he was just an unstoppable force, and yeah. he was a bad guy, and it's like, oh no, nobody can beat The Undertaker. Uh, it, it, you know, as a, as a, as a wee lad, I was like, oh, oh no. Um, but as the undertaker somehow became a face without changing anything, yeah. the undertaker did, uh, people just loved him so much. Yeah. Uh, I always love Paul bear as well. That was, that was yep. very, very good. Um, I do decline to remember the biker taker era. That was, that was bad look. Mm. Yeah. Uh and and still I I hope that someday um it was what Brock Lesnar who beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania or some such nonsense. I think that is correct, yeah. Someday I just want Brock Lesnar to I don't know come back or be in wrestling again and say like this is a final retirement and as he does it the undertaker's hand reaches up through <laughs> through the mat and pulls him down to hell that's all i want in wrestling for real um, Brock Lesnar is back i thought he was going away again i i think he was in last night's wrestlemania he was in the big wrestle show yeah i i think he might be going again i don't know oh yeah regardless yeah, yeah. I, I just someday, that's what I want, because that will be the perfect ending to The Undertaker's story. 
or we can give him another <laughs> brother burned in fire or whatnot. Ha, ah, the Kane stuff was always real weird. Well, I think the Undertaker is, as he often does, doing like little spot stuff with the uh, WWE again. Mm-hmm. So anything's possible, yeah, Brian. Yeah. I mean, he's pressing like 50. So you're number two. My number two, and I feel real silly about this, uh, but I hadn't been sort of spotting them in any particular order except for number one. Right. So my number two is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's, uh, that's a shame that's what that is. <laughs> he should have been number five because he's only on I mean, this list. Yeah, like Disco Inferno is on this list. In Inexplicable yes. love you have. Number two. Oh, boy. I mean, exactly the same reason Disco's <laughs> on this list, because I saw him as a kid and he did just like he landed for it. It's the I mean, maybe the dumbest gimmick. Oh, it's real, real. Du- well, I mean, part of it is him being the dumbest is kind of the gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, if you don't know Hacksaw, his gimmick is and I'm not making this up an American flag in a two before. Yep. Walks around saying, ho, I believe yeah, he barks yelling, like a dog sometimes, all the time. He definitely does. I don't Down know. Down on all fours, barking like a dog. And the worst finishing move ever, the three-point stance, which is basically <laughs> he gets down in a three-point stance and then just hits you with his shoulder. And apparently that's a finisher. Boy, howdy. The sleeper hold <laughs> is at least a thing. But man, did he know how to make an entrance. Uh. Just when, basically when he turned it up to 15 on Loving America, that's when he became Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Just, anyway, I, I don't really have much to say about Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's real goofy. Yep. But I like him. So, Brian, let's uh, let's finish this up on a high note. What is your number one star of the week? It's Razor Ramon. I mean, nobody messes with the bad guy. <laughs> How, if my younger brother is listening to this, he is cheering right now. I, look, you like Shawn Michaels. I liked Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon was the best. Now, admittedly, it did take what felt like 20 years from the promos to actually getting Razor to wrestle. But unlike yeah. what I feel most of those promos do for wrestlers, like Razor actually could. Like, he was there and frankly uh, gave one of the best ladder matches of all time. Uh, and and Razor was another guy that like he was a heel yeah but you kind of wanted to root for him anyway yeah he was he was very very good at being a heel Uh, I mean some I mean there may be reasons for that yeah yeah Uh, yeah I mean look everything with the toothpick throwing it at people telling the guys who take his gold something happened to this something happened to you and really the best story is he created the character Largely because apparently Vince McMahon had never seen Scarface. (laughs) So he just assumed that this was all original stuff. And all that is happening is Scott Hall is basically doing a Scarface impersonation. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good number one, though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he did... He was part of the famous WCW defection with the NWO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're we're cutting off our caring about wrestling before then. <laughs> fair enough. Fair, but but that does 
Like, that is a very interesting kind of point in the Monday Night Wars. So even as part of the defection and not being nearly as awesome, yeah. he was still very, very good. Yeah. Also, I guess the another thing we should bring up is when <laughs> the WWF liked to do a lot of uh, attempts at undercutting. Do you remember when they brought out fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon? <laughs> Yeah, I they do. brought those guys out to actually wrestle, but that was nothing compared to the billionaire Ted sketches with the huckster and the nacho man. The nacho man. Man, that's that was a weird, weird era of wrestling. Yes, indeed. So what's your number one as we take this to nearly 30 minutes? Sure. Like we do. Yeah, good luck, My number good luck one. figuring out how to edit this and keep everything that's valuable. <laughs> My number one, which I suspect wrestling fans everywhere will agree with me on. Am I saying that with zero uh, to back me up? Sure I am. Yeah. It's Andre the Giant. Mm. Who is, by all accounts, the nicest human to have ever lived. He was a great wrestler. He helped make... Hulk Hogan in a lot of ways. This is true. Hulk had and to pick somebody he was, up. He was Fezzik in The Princess Bride, the greatest movie ever made. That's fair. So, so and this is in the, in they had a, a Royal Rumble mm-hmm. at the start of WrestleMania, uh, you know, like you do. Yeah. And the it was called like the Andre the Giant Memorial something something mm-hmm. Royal Rumble. The winner got a golden statue of Andre the Giant, which is awesome, but because it's effectively the exact same human costume and everything, it just looks like they got a giant gold fezzik. <laughs> well, okay. So when you say it, it's a small statue, yes? It is not. Uh, I would say two feet high. Okay. That's a large statue, but not. They didn't decide, like, <laughs> we will cast a uh, a right. life-size Andre the Giant because nobody's going to be able to put that anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was just, he was a legitimate giant. He was larger than life in every possible way you could imagine. And he's the sort of guy that as a very little kid, you see him in a wrestling ring and you are immediately on board. The eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. And man, if you ever, if if you are so inclined, a few years back, Carrie L. West wrote a, an autobiography of his time on The Princess Bride called As You Wish. It's very good, but even more specifically than the book. In this one of the rare cases where I would properly recommend the audiobook because Carrie reads it himself mm-hmm. and he, he has the sexiest voice in Hollywood. And he tells stories all throughout about Andre, and it is just beautiful, wonderful, enchanting. I mean, Carrie clearly loved the man, as did the entire production team, and there's just some real great stories in there. If you're a wrestling fan, even if you're not a Princess Bride fan, super worth your time to listen. Sounds great. Also, I'll point out a couple, just an honorable mention for uh, Booker T, who I think in this era is part of the all-time great tag team Harlem Heat. Uh, this, yeah. And I think the era we're looking at is before he went on to be like King Booker and really 
be a singles contender, but got to give it yeah, up. Yeah, you're right. Had we stretched this out by another decade, Booker T would have been a surefire top five. Right. I mean, yeah, then we would have had to exclude The Rock on the other way. Like, like Hogan, The Rock defined all of wrestling. Um, right. But yeah, I thought I'd give a shout out to Booker T. Any any other yeah. notable omissions? I mean, well, we didn't touch on a couple of huge, per- and maybe it's just because they're larger than life. Uh, but we didn't touch on Ric Flair. Yeah, we didn't touch on uh, the Macho Man. Yeah. Ric Flair, I find, you know, very important to wrestling. But I never like. Uh, I was kind of down on Ric Flair. <laughs> so there were some as far as know, excitement some, for me goes but some big stars in the pantheon but look we weren't trying to pick out the five best or most important we were just picking our five of our favorites yep and we did right. that go us <laughs> this list is now undisputable uh don't don't yeah. don't at us is that a thing is that a thing people i mean do? you can i am 100 percent down with people adding me to talk about awesome early 90s wrestlers that is okay with me. And if you want to at me just to tell me how stupid it was to put Jim Duggan on that list and not Ric Flair, go for it. I mean, you're if you're going to put Jim Duggan on that list, you might as well swap out some others and put the Bushwhackers there. <laughs> Man, we should have done, and we need to transition here, Yeah, but we should have done top five tag teams because then we could have had Harlem Heat right at the top. That's true. And then we would have had joke tag teams like the Bushwhackers. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all right. Yeah, we we have to transition, or we'll be stuck here all day. We do. So we are going to take a bit of a break. We are going to watch Spider-Man episode nine. Motion accessory is a loving beetle insect spy, or the animated accessory is the beetle spy of love. <laughs> and we will be right back. Change the apart And we're back, Brian. I swear, every week I say this. Is this the strangest episode yet? It is. It I I I don't even know. I mean, the episode title up front, my first note is WTF because despite the fact that I can sort of make that make sense later, it gave me no idea what to possibly expect from the episode. Yeah, boy. It just and so we are watching fan subbed Yes. Episodes. And there is always a risk when you're watching fan subbed episodes that you're going to get a little bit of shaky translation here and there. Yep. It's something you have to deal with if you want to watch stuff that doesn't have kind of a full on American production and release. Right. It's fine. I'm very grateful to the folks who put them together because now I can watch Spider-Man. Right. But there are times where translation can get a little wonky. And so I thought. Maybe this is just like an issue of translation. And we got different titles. So, you know, right. clearly some of that is at play. But both but it of turns them are out, accurate in their own way. Yeah, it turns out this is just a real strange title for a real, a real weird episode. Yeah, I, we're going to have to discuss at the point where it becomes clear that the words did mean something. Uh, was this actually a thing? So, yeah, let's get into it. Sure. Yeah, let's uh <laughs> I don't, Brian, I I'll tell you the truth, I don't even know I don't know where to start. So well, we open I guess on Professor Monster, right? Yeah, because he has the world's only blue diamond. Apparently there is only one, and apparently it uh it 
helps make super powerful lasers. We need to talk about how lasers work. <laughs> Clearly from diamonds, diamonds and lasers. <laughs> so so he has a blue diamond that is, I don't know what, the size of a small pebble, yeah. medium-sized pebble. I mean, it's we could say it's the size of a blue diamond because there is only one. That's true. In the entire world. It is its world. own standard unit of measure. Yes. One blue diamond. And this blue diamond has the magical power to make laser beam 100 times as powerful as normal. Ahem, scientific power. This isn't magic. This is science. Good. Well, nope. Fair correction. Scientific power. Yeah. 100 times as powerful as a normal laser. Right. We just need to stick it in this new monster here, this laser monster that no one has ever used before, if I recall correctly, that uh, we already know that his laser isn't uh, powerful enough, so we're just going to make it 100 times stronger. Thank goodness we've got a weird beetle monster standing over here who has lasers as his primary power. Right. And has built into his suit slash chest a slot perfectly fitted for the blue diamond. Right. I I mean, was there a different thing that he used to put there? Or is this just, no, he was built incomplete? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just used like a regular diamond for focusing. I mean, maybe. you got to have diamonds if you're going to fire a laser. I mean, maybe maybe he had like batteries and it's just one shot, uh, one shot use. Hmm. So this thing's name, I think, is Kabuton. Is that right? Uh, yes, Kabuton. Who looks a bit like a like a rhino beetle, I think would yeah. be fair to say. Yes. And apparently is not strictly robot. No, he's part insect, which will <laughs> be a plot point that is very confusing. <laughs> Extraordinarily, we're confusing. so far away from that, and I want to get there because I need <laughs> to talk about it. So, this is a cyborg insect robot that, like all machine bem, has the power to shrink and grow seemingly at will. Yep, and so it shrinks down in this opening scene after having had the blue diamond embedded in its chest, right? And doing shrinks- a bit of a demonstration. Which also, oh, in this right. demonstration, we find out, oh, the Amazonist just has a laser pistol that apparently she has neglected to use up to this yeah. point. Yeah. It appears to be her primary sidearm now. Yeah. At least this way. But yeah, we, we do that demo because we got to prove that the laser is strong enough to cut through Leopardon. Right. And then the the beetly thing, Kabuto, just shrinks down and hops into the Amazonist's hand. Right, because she has decided that Shinko must know things about Spider-Man or something. Yeah, that that is a giant <laughs> leap. But the Amazonist says, hey, you know that girl Shinko Yamashiro? That uh, 18-year-old girl right. who goes to college? Right, the 18-year-old girl girl that goes to college not uh not hatomi who works for me and i see every day works for me yeah, because she doesn't made know. that connection yeah. haven't made that connection but apparently she's decided that oh uh this girl 
who I, I don't know is, I don't know is sister to Spider-Man. Bet she's connected to Spider-Man somehow. Her logic is she's such a genius that clearly she must know Spider-Man because Spider-Man obviously famed for his intellect. Right. I mean, he is not in this universe. Not in this universe. In this universe, he's a dirt bike rider. Right. Also, I... So is the episode trying to tell me that she is jointly developing science later? Because the yes. episode seems very unclear, and I can't tell if the episode's unclear or if it's just the 1970s and they're afraid that if they show this woman doing science, my brain won't be able to handle it. I think it is the latter. Okay. The What we will learn here very shortly is that Shinko has been carrying on her father's experiments alongside her father's old partners. So she goes to college, sure, uh, but not just to learn, also to participate in the kind of... She's keeping her father's research alive, which which I thought was really cool. It is really cool. It also suggests to me that perhaps she isn't going to college. Maybe she's just part of military dark ops. That may actually be the case. Which, let me tell you, the show up to this point has never suggested anything remotely like this. Nope. Uh, Her dad, whose name is escaping me at the moment, and I feel kind of bad about it. Uh, I mean, he died in the first episode, (laughs) and they don't even... Hiroshi. Hiroshi Yamashiro. Yes. uh, Was a scientist, a, a, a very specifically a space archaeologist. Yes, because that's a thing. It's definitely a thing. And I liked, I'll tell you, I really liked the decision because as you point out in in prime Marvel universe, Peter Parker himself is a brilliant scientist. Yes. I liked the move to give that to Hitomi. Nope. Or not Hitomi, to Shinko. One, because it gave that character something significant to do. Yes. But also because I don't think anyone here in episode nine is going to believe that our boy Takoya... Is anything resembling a super smart scientist? No. He's... <laughs> no. He's, a... uh, he's, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk and kind of a dummy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, we cut from there. We leave the secret Machine Bem Iron Cross lair. And join, is it Takuji? Is that right? I think so. Yep. Spider-Man's younger brother, who is out in the jungle on a bug hunting field trip, right? Jungle slash park slash forest. They're kind of all the same. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely just a little bit of a wooded forest in what is probably a public park. Yes. But he and other kids his age are out with butterfly nets Waving them helplessly in the air. Yes, there are distinctly zero butterflies. Yeah, but they are they are on a field trip, and for some reason, the Amazonist has decided that the best way to get Kabutan to Shinko is by way of her little brother. Apparently, they can track the little brother like in the park, but they can't, I don't know... Crack, crack a phone book open and right. find out where they live? Just find the home address and send the beetle there? And how convenient that Little Brother happens to be on a bug hunt. Yeah. 
It's just, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, that probably suggests that the school system is infiltrated by the Machine Bem army. Ooh, but yeah. I like that take. Yeah. Iron Cross army is controlling the school. Yeah. Them. <laughs> uh, so Takuji captures uh, Kabutan, who is currently the size and shape of a rhino beetle. Right. And takes him home. He's bragging when he gets home. He's bragging to his brother and sister, showing off his new beetle. It's a new bug that he doesn't have. Not in quite his sure collection. What it is. Right. We don't. We don't uh, even see a full to, collection. By the way, we, we never just... do. He has one very sad terrarium with no grass in it. <laughs> anyway, so he goes to put him in the sad terrarium, and the beetle flies away. After biting him, if I recall. I did not notice a bite. I do want to do something with the word sad terrarium, and I can't figure out what, but continue. <laughs> and this, this right now, is my single favorite moment in Spider-Man to date. It may get eclipsed sometime. It's going to take a lot of work. Do you know why? Do you know why this is the best? Why is it the best? Because we get a classic spy movie chase scene starring a beetle. We've got the next several seconds because Shinko's on her way to school. Mm -hmm. So we get like cut scenes of Shinko trotting down a street and turning a corner. And then like the beetle sticking its head up and looking (laughs) around. And then Shinko's like crossing the road and the beetle's lurking behind a lamppost watching her. Yep. It is absolutely the best. It is just like this weird, the bug clearly thinks it is James Bond. Yes. Yes, it does. It's absolutely amazing because it's this tiny little semi-animatronic bug that only has very limited movement, but they are selling it as hard as they can. This bug is a super spy. I mean, he is because he eventually tracks her down to like, I don't know, the basement level of one of these science buildings where she's yeah, meeting does. with her father's previous colleagues and they're developing, <laughs> I believe it was basically a a uh, meteor detector, but not yeah. a meteor detector like to prevent meteors from hitting the earth, like finding ones that have been, that have hit the earth and buried themselves <laughs> in the ground, which guys, I don't, I don't think that's how science works. Yeah, they said meteorite detector, and I was like, oh, they're making a satellite. Yeah. Like a fancy satellite. No, they're doing exactly the opposite of that. Nope. We're finding meteors under, and this was her father's life work. Yeah. I mean. This was his great work. I mean, maybe, I don't, I don't want to say it, but maybe the, the, the life cut short was, was a good way to avoid the crushing <laughs> disappointment of finding out that unless meteors are made from some very special non the rest of earth material it's going right. to be hard to you know pick those out i think yeah so i don't i don't know their goal was somehow to use like to find the space rock and use it to learn more about space and advance the cause of space travel yes and that's that that's what they're going to do so the beetle sneaks in like through an air vent. Yep. And erupts into giant size. Uh regular size. Oh yeah. Giant yeah, size would be too big for this room. 
he erupts into his like six foot tall beetle form. And somewhere on his dirt bike, Spider-Man's uh, spider sense is tingling. Right. Now, can spider does the spider sense go off hypothetically before the scene happens? Or is the beetle just going to gloat for, I don't know, 20 minutes while Takoya gets there? As far as I can tell, yeah. The beetle is just real slow at his job. I, I have another question. How did Spider-Man get into that room? Because he doesn't kick you know, open I had the door. not considered that. But the beetle had to get through an air vent, and Spider-Man just appears. So presumably, <laughs> there's there's some sort of walk-through-walls ability going on, maybe? I had not even thought about it, but that is a very good, <laughs> is a very good question. But he kicks because the door the so the know, scientists can flee. Right, yeah. And he's going to fight off uh, Kabutan while the scientists run away. By fight off, we mostly mean jump around the room dodging the laser. Yes, that is what. So he he sees the laser hit the wall behind him and immediately deduces that this is a much stronger laser than normal laser. See, he can do on the fly science. Also, our, yeah. our Beetleborg here, he's not real good with the aiming. Because it's not that like is, that is super Spider-Man true. is moving at light speed. He is moving at roughly the speed of one slightly quick human being, and that laser is not catching him. <laughs> and then... So, so he cleverly defeats the beetle with a mirror, a very, very small mirror. That laser right. burst must have been particularly focused. Yep. Yeah, finally got in on the focus and manages to hit the only thing on Spider-Man's body that will reflect that beam back and cause him harm. I'm I'm also unclear. Does any just standard cosmetic mirror, will that always work on laser <laughs> beams, especially like the destructive I mean, ones? I know mirror armor is kind of the traditional science fiction answer to laser beams. Right. I have no idea whether or not that is actually practical. I mean, if it's just like a laser light beam that's going to glance off, sure. But if it has destructive power, I'm not clear whether or not laser beams will not eat through your uh, cosmetic mirror. I mean, does this just mean if we coded Leopardon in mirrors, like that would that would solve all problems? <laughs> okay, so Spider-Man wins because he reflects the laser beam back into Kabutan, right? Who is now very damaged. Yes, he took a laser beam that should have been able to cut through Leopardon. I'm not sure how he survived. I mean, it's that hard exoskeleton. And if we I want to, so. if we want to observe like civil war rules, I mean, the bug wins because Spider Man quit the field. Fair Spider-Man point. Spider Man does run first. Yeah. <laughs> the Amazonist is not impressed, however. No, she's going to be very unimpressed with this poor creature throughout most of the episode. That's here's the problem. Apparently, the secret lair of the Iron Cross Army on Earth. Is it an underground meteor? I guess, because apparently that's, if they build this, they'll find us. I, yeah, I mean. They they need to shut down this meteor detection technology before they discover the Iron Cross Army. I, 
couldn't you, I don't know, maybe move the base? You could move probably rent out like a skyscraper or something and just operate from there. Spider-Man well, is you know, not going to find you. <laughs> you are an outer space army with ridiculously advanced technology. Maybe your plans could just be kill the humans if they show up. Yeah, I mean, they could probably try launching more than one monster at a time, too. But... <laughs> right. Okay, so at home, Takuji is on guard because Shinko has really been distressed, as one might imagine, by being attacked by an enormous beetle with a world-destroying laser. Yes. And so Takuji is at the watch to make sure no more Iron Cross army sneaks into their house. Yeah, he's real bad at it. He is. He gets distracted by a beetle because, hey, remember that beetle? It flew home, I guess. Yeah, like beetles are known to do. Right. I mean, obviously the beetle's trying to track Shinko. Yep. But it has been so thoroughly weakened by the laser blast that it took that it can barely fly. So Takuji is able to capture it, and he and Shinko attempt to nurse a bug back to life. And then, uh, yeah, it starts starts getting weird. It gets real weird, because this bug has the voice of, like, a 50-year-old porn star. And we're playing music that is definitely falling in love music. Yeah. Yeah. As, as Shinko is gingerly cleaning its shell this beetle is falling in love with her this weird monster is falling in love with a teenage girl everything about it is exactly as uncomfortable as you the audience are imagining right now yeah it's uh it's real weird that aside for a moment takoya spider-man is worried about his sister. She's just been through a traumatic event. Right. She's she's now become instantly a shut-in. Yep. She's hiding out in the house, which, again, understandable. Right, because of all the attempted murder. Yeah. Uh, so he calls his girlfriend Hitomi in what is kind of a decent brother and boyfriend move. I'm not used to him being no, he kind and generous with the women in his life. Yeah, I I I'm very surprised. This is the first time that he has ever he's ever gone out of his way to not help someone in a non-spider related matter. <laughs> yeah. And Tatomi says, "Oh man. That's a, that's rough, especially since it's her birthday." Today. Because of course, why not? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is just piling all the plot on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Hitomi is at work. You may recall she works for a like newspaper magazine syndicate sort of deal. The Weekly Woman. Right, The Weekly Woman, where the Amazonist appears to be her boss. Right, in secret. I keep waiting for the show to address this. I, maybe, maybe someday. And the Amazonist strolls in to work as Hitomi's leaving. Hitomi's hurrying off to comfort Shinko. And her boss comes in wearing what what can only be described as an actual living beetle wrapped in a chain around her neck as though it were a fashion accessory. No, you say as though it were. No, in this universe, it 
is a fashion accessory. And I have to know, was this ever actually a fashion accessory thing that people did? Because the show seems to desperately want me to find that plausible. I, I, I cannot imagine that it was. I can't. I, I mean... <laughs> You're saying that, but in your heart, you know your heart doesn't believe it can't imagine that it was. No, you know what? I'm... I, I say I cannot imagine that it was because I don't want it to be true. <laughs> but I, will, I, I would probably put good money... Uh, on this being a thing at some point in history. 70s because humans are monsters. Yeah, humans are monsters. <laughs> okay, all right. So she That's comes in. That's the end in. of the show. Humans are monsters. Humans are monsters. She comes in and says, oh, yes, this necklace. All the rage in Europe. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's how you get people to do things. Just say it's all the range in all the rage in Europe, and then you've just got people putting chains on beetles left and right. Also, are there just <laughs> lots and lots of rhinoceros beetles, like, just roaming around freely? Is that is that a big thing going on? I'm not clear. I... I do not know. I don't... Yeah. Somehow, all of this leads to Takuji wanting to buy his older sister an insect necklace to cheer her up. Does he do that? Where where'd this necklace come from? Did he buy her one? How did she get the necklace? Okay, well, so they all went out. Uh, actually, <laughs> I think the bug that was brought in the house, the one that we've captured, I think we just right. turned that into a necklace. Uh, okay. Okay, so that's, that's the only other bug that's around, I think. I don't know. So, it's we have multiple so, people wearing bug necklaces and it's all weird. Takuji must grab the injured bug, right, and tie a chain around it so that his sister can wear it out birthday shopping. Right. The beetle, weird 50-year-old porn beetle, yep, is perving over the smell of her perfume. Right. Also, side note, uh, clearly, these beetles are around uh, because it is almost certainly the Japanese rhinoceros beetle. Uh, and yeah, so I'm going to say that, yeah, these probably are are all around there. I have no idea whether or not they were ever sure. turned into necklaces, but uh, they definitely are a super thing. Oh, man, I asked the Internet, let me tell you about Maketch, a gorgeous beetle from Central and South America that has been worn as a living pendant for centuries. Okay. All right, then. They cover them in rhinestones, even in modern times, and fix it to a gold chain with a pin like a leash so that the bug can wander around on the shirt of the fancy person wearing it. That is... Here's a quote from a 1993 field guide, Latin American Insects and Etymology. The novelty of a tethered jewel beetle on the lapel never fails to attract attention. I find all that horrifying, but I think we can move I, on. I can't deal with any of that. I want this to remain fiction. So let's, uh, let's get 
back to a beetle crawling around on a Japanese girl's chest, I guess. Yeah, that's that's a step up. Uh, Should we stop this podcast? Nope, nope. See, this is why you shouldn't <laughs> research during the podcast. I feel bad about a lot of things. Well, uh, I guess we know where the cuts are coming from. <laughs> so uh, we go out and we're going to buy a dress. Or we're not yeah. going to buy a dress because this is the first hint we get that, yeah, Takoya's kind of a deadbeat. He hasn't won yeah. any motocross in a while. Which... Yeah, so you may remember from earlier that Shinko kind of manages the finances. Right. But she is not responsible for the income. That is Takoya. Yeah. And apparently Takoya has not been... There's not been a lot incoming. It's funny. I mean, of all of the things to get from the Peter Parker side, the only thing Takoya picked up was being perpetually broke all the time. <laughs> Poor. He's not a scientist. <laughs> he's not a photographer. He's just perpetually poor. So instead of buying a 5,000 yen dress... Shinko buys a 500 yen necklace. It's actually kind of pretty. It's like yeah. this uh, jewel cut blue stone on a like a chain neck, uh, uh, dainty chain necklace. It's, I think it's kind of cool looking. Yeah, no, it's nice. And it's also not a beetle. It's, it is also not an actual alive beetle. Right. However, there is an actual alive beetle currently around her neck right now, and it observes her sadness over not having this dress. That dress would be so nice. I mean, maybe in the 1970s, I'll be honest. Like, the dress, it's it's certainly a dress. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that night, uh, the little brother sets the beetle free. Having felt guilty, I guess, for putting him in a terrarium and or tying him around a chain. I think everyone sets their beetles free because they come to the middle of the episode and realize that you shouldn't use beetles as jewelry. Yeah, let's not use living creatures as fashion accessories. Right. So, yeah, so they set them free. And then, if this episode's not already weird enough for you, Brian creepy 50-year-old porn beetle is going to go watch that teenage girl sleep. Yep. Oh. <laughs> More. I keep waiting for the ninders to show up in this episode. It takes a very long time. This episode is mostly about a beetle cyborg I, falling in love with a teenage right, girl. I mean, basically, our, our commercial break was love music for the beetle. And then, oh, commercial break. Yeah. Like, is this what the show is about now? Is this just it a is. rom-com between a beetle and the teenage girl he loves? Yep. So the beetle, uh, wanting, I guess, to get Shinko a birthday gift, right? goes to steal that dress that she fell in love with earlier in the day. Right. Also, he does it at night by using his laser in a much more efficient manner than he did in the fight with Spider-Man. Jeez, if you could have just drawn a big circle and vaporized there, you probably should have used that. Uh, Also, you know, some guy is there working at the store after hours, and then he's quickly made dead. Yep. Because He, he destroys the store, kills the proprietor, steals the dress. Yes. 
But hey, he does mark it as a gift from Santa. So that's good. Yes. That's definitely not unsettling at all. No. No. All right. So uh, Shinko wakes up in the morning, sees the dress, and thinks, oh, my brother bought this for me. How sweet of him. He must have been lying to me about us being broke. Right. Nope. We're still broke. Right. (laughs) The brother doesn't even try to take credit. He just says, oh, no. No, no. We don't have money. I did not buy that thing for you. And sort of mid-conversation, Hitomi calls and says, oh, hey, you remember that dress shop we were at yesterday? It it gone. Yeah. the the They took a big chunk out of it, stole the dress, killed the proprietor. It's all very messy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so this is and the point where they point, go to the police, right? One would think so. But no, they just stroll up to the crime scene. Yep, I'm like, huh. And Takoya now puts two and two together, uh, sees some kind of laser burn marks, right. does a little bit of machine BEM miniaturization math, Yep. and somehow deduces the beetle monster that Spider-Man fought must be the necklace beetle his sister had been wearing. Right. I can't tell whether or not that is logical to deduce or way too many leaps in logic but yeah yeah this episode has been gaslighting us and i don't know what's true anymore (laughs) all right so the amazonist shows up again to yell at kabuton some more yep again not impressed uh is this where we get a little electricity torture this is 100 percent some shock torture he is chained to the floor and they are running electric current through him I mean, no other monster has gotten this kind of treatment. What are they doing? I don't... What? I mean, this is just straight punishment, right? They're not interrogating him. Yeah. It's not like he's lying about what he's been up to. Yeah. I I mean, really, all he needs to do is eventually precipitate a fight with Spider-Man and vaporize Leoparton. Honestly, right. they could have solved all of this by just having him grow giant at the very beginning and get Spider-Man to summon Leoparton. Yep. Uh, they they seem to be real into we have to solve this thing with the scientists and their meteorite detecting thing. <laughs> so so eventually Professor Monster sets him free and says, "Look, you have to go destroy that new technology. Also kill the Spider-Man." Yeah. And so what's next, Brian? What happens next? Uh, is it is it time to go to the pool? It is. Creepy 50-year-old porn beetle is going to go watch that teenage girl in a bathing suit for a while. Yep. Ah, <laughs> And he's going to decide that, uh, you know, I, I should give her a gift. I'm going to give her this. Uh, I'm going to take her pendant, whatever, that she's left over here, and I'm going to swap it out and give her a real blue diamond. Because Yeah, she'll love this blue diamond from my chest that powers my super weapon. Yeah, yeah. Girls love that kind of thing. Yeah, but I won't tell her about it. I'll just switch it secretly. And this is the creepiest thing. So that a part of me can always be close to her. Yeah, it's... uh, That's... That's upsetting, as is the fact that he decides to, with her not diamond necklace, take out the trinket there and just put it 
where the blue diamond was supposed to be for him. Yep. It's, yep. it's all real weird. This is a real stalker level stuff here. Yep. You know what is. But of course it is. This is a 50 year old porn beetle. Right. Do you know what is weirder than all of that? That I'm pretty what? sure she's just swimming here as she's killing time to meet the scientists who seem to have set up shot in a hotel room. That is accurate. Like, yes. this is just the hotel pool, I think. And At no point does this movie make any effort to disabuse me from the notion that we are slowly heading towards a weird porn shoot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, no, it's just they're they're working out of, like, room 11B or whatnot. Yep. <laughs> so she gets out of the pool and puts on her science clothes, I guess. Right. And goes to meet the professor she's been working with, who are now ready to prototype their design. Right. They work fast. They sure do. The Amazonist and Kabuto show up. Kabuton show up. Spider-Man shows up. And we get a classic fight scene. Yep. We Which also... is to say it's time for the Spider-Man theme song and a lot of swinging through the woods. Right. I don't know how we got to the woods. I... When they first left that building, it was definitely downtown. I guess they must have yep. Central Park right next to them that is very well forested because, yeah, <laughs> we got to the forest very quickly. So Spider-Man is fighting the Kabutan. Yep. The scientists and Shinko run, and they are cornered by the Amazonists. Yes. With her laser has, pistol. as you may recall, a laser pistol. Yes. Which, frankly, probably should have been used way before now. Yep. She decides to start by shooting Shinko. Right. And shooting her right in the pendant. I... So we have to assume that lasers are just drawn to diamonds. I guess. Because otherwise, that's a one in a billion shot. And I sure I just is. find it hard to believe that anyone can be that unlucky. But yeah. So this diamond not only soaks up the laser, but fires it back out multiple fold. Right. And then inexplicably, she tears that necklace off and throws it and it explodes. Like a bomb. Right. A laser bomb. Right. She is surprised that it does that, which makes me wonder what possessed her to throw off what had just now been her only defense against getting lasered. But and after she throws away her only defense, the Amazonist runs. Yes. Whatever. There's there's frankly a lot of unresolved stuff cuz that's the last time Shinko's in the episode, right? Cuz we're, yeah, yeah. we're we're going literally off to... all that is left is the showdown between Leopardon and giant-sized Kabuton. Right, which is really just about putting him out of his misery because he tries to use his special laser that no one except for him, I guess, realizes is not powered by the magical blue diamond. And it looks like it's short-circuiting him completely. It's basically burning him up. It turns out cubic zirconia does not function the same as a blue diamond. No, and I'm pretty sure that we didn't need an arc turn and a sword vigor, and he was just going to collapse and die on his own, but... Yeah, he is just sadly dying of his own laser that is failing him because of his creepy stalker move. Yes. Poor, poor insect lovers. 
Um, but yeah, that's yeah, so. Uh, we should note we because we kind of glossed right over it when talking about how this beetle was falling in love with her. Yeah. Do you remember his justification for why? Yeah, because he's still part insects deep inside. Yeah, he says, well, I may be a machine, but I'm also part insect deep inside. Right. And that made me wonder, do do insects secretly love humans? Is that is yeah. that a well-established fact about yeah, insects that I was previously unaware thing of? thing that happens all the time. I'm just like any other beetle falling in love with a beautiful girl. Yep. There are so many things this episode leaves unaddressed. I mean, yeah, we yeah. put we put him out of his misery, and that's just the end. Like, yeah, that's it. Kaboom! End. We don't we don't go back and talk to Shinko or learn any lessons or, you know, yep. I wonder who that masked beetle was. Nope, none of that. Nope. Episode just ends. <laughs> One, I want to know: Did she keep the dress? Two, is she at all distressed over the fact that clearly? Clearly, that proprietor was murdered to get her that dress. Yeah. I just, the episode kind of ignores that altogether. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot of nonsense going on in this episode. uh, And it just, just kept getting more and more nonsensical. Yeah, the uh, weird show just keeps getting weirder. But I guess we learned things about beetles that we never wanted to. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that'll, I guess that'll do it for another episode of the Spider-Man who loved me. I mean, right now it's the beetle man who loved her, but yes. <laughs> As a reminder, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. Uh, or you can follow along on Twitter at supersentibros. You can look us up on just about every podcast subscription service that's out there at this point. Uh, Leave a rating, a review, if you are so inclined. You can check out the rest of the Retrograde Orbit, a stable of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. And uh, once again, we are the Super Sentai Buddies. I'm Mark. I'm Brian. And we'll see you next time for the greatest show on Earth. Spider-Man. <laughs>